Good morning, church. Well, I think uh, if you've been here a while, you know that one of our deeply held values is something called authenticity. We like to tell the truth. We like to shoot straight with one another. And so in the interest of that, I need to tell you this morning that I'm tired, okay? I have just managed to put myself in an energy deficit, so... Um, I'm tired, um, and the only reason I make a fuss about that at all is because uh, a couple things, that the message will be more brief, yay, and uh, I'll also be asking uh, one of our elders, Don Ivers, to conclude the service so that I can kind of conserve my energy so I can come and hang out with teenagers after a few hours, okay? So uh, a little grace from you there would be wonderful. Just uh, so you know, nothing's wrong. Nothing's, I'm not depressed. I'm just tired, okay? Um, and along those lines, I appreciate the, how some of you are praying for our present search for a, a staff pastor, another pastor, or we're even considering two to join our staff to uh, take care of a church of our size. And so uh, keep praying about that. Uh, we're, we're approaching this a little bit differently than we have in the past, and uh, so it might take just a little bit longer, um, but uh, really looking for somebody who'll go the distance, you know, and so uh, be praying, be praying for that, and we do have some things that are, that are happening in that regard, and as soon as we know something for sure, we'll of course tell you something for sure, okay, but in the meantime, keep praying. Well, it's June, so that means many of you are turning your thoughts toward football. In particular, Buckeye football. You guys just can't seem to get started too soon. How many of you went to the spring game? Anybody? Nobody? Syria? Oh, one, two, two, three. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's only like five bucks, you know. It's your time to go. And it's the only time I've ever been in the shoe, actually, was for a spring game because no one has ever invited me to go with them. <laughs> Uh, I'm open on a lot of Saturdays in the fall, I'm just saying to you, so that's all, that's all. Um, But we're already turning our thoughts toward football, and uh, you know, uh, so I want to talk with you this morning about how to make an excellent handoff. Such a pivotal part of the game, isn't it, handing off the ball? And so we look at First and Second Timothy together in our Through the Bible series. Uh, there's really a main focus of, uh, of Paul handing the ball off to Timothy and what that really means to us. And so we'll be continuing this morning in our Through the Bible um, uh, series of, of studies and uh, some a series I started two and a half years ago. And it uh, looks like the end is finally coming into sight. Uh, very grateful to Pat Holweiler for bringing that perspective last week on eschatology, brother. Uh, really, really, really added so much to the message, and thank you so much, brother. So in our, uh, we're going to be looking at First and Second Timothy. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there, and you will see uh, we're going to do what we've done before in the Through the Bible uh, studies. We're going to start with context, and context of First and Second Timothy, First Timothy in particular, is that it was written by Paul from Philippi. So you remember that Philippi was one of those other churches that Paul was a part of, the Philippians, yes? And it was one of the churches in Asia Minor that Paul was a part of. And uh, he was there uh, in Macedonia, which is now like northern Greece, 
um, and when he wrote this letter to Timothy, who was actually in Ephesus, he wrote this around 64 A.D., so remember last week when we looked at First and Second Thessalonians, you may recall that that was written in 48 A.D. and was Paul's first writing that we have captured. And um, um, this, so this is 16 years later, if you do the math. Yep, if you do the math. And so a lot has happened in that period of time. Uh, he was written, it was written, as I mentioned, to Timothy, who was a young man in the faith, and he was in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, uh, for our purposes, is on the east coast, well, the only coast, I guess, of Turkey. And no, it would be the west coast, wouldn't it? It would be that coast. It would be the coast of Turkey, okay? And, and uh, so uh, Timothy was in Ephesus at the time, uh, put there by Paul to take care of the church that was there. Now, Paul met Timothy in his hometown of Lystra on one of his missionary journeys. Lystra is one city in the province of Galatia. And so remember when we've looked at the book of Galatians, that was about Paul combating the Judaizers, the legalists, who were trying to take away the freedom that we have in Christ. And so Paul was combating that, and as he was doing that, uh, uh, or I should say in the midst of that, uh, that's where Timothy's from. He, was, he, he had a Jewish mother and a Greek father, and uh, that's about all we know beyond that. But he came to Christ when Paul was in Lystra, perhaps maybe because Paul was used by God there to heal a lame man. And, you know, there's nothing like seeing Holy Spirit work to get you interested, right? Am I right, church? There's something, you know, you just can't deny it anymore when you see God present, and that's what was happening. And so Timothy came to Christ under Paul's evangelism. Paul then discipled him, and he also invited him to travel with him on his missionary journeys as he went throughout the region, uh, declaring the gospel, planting churches, and taking care of the churches that were already already planted. Now, on one of his missionary journeys, while they were in Ephesus, Paul was called to Macedonia, and he said, Timothy, I want you to stay here and take care of the church while I go. I'll be back soon. Turns out he didn't come back soon, and what happened was then, as, as Paul was away from Timothy, he wrote these letters to Timothy to give him instruction about leading the church in, in uh, Ephesus. Now, the third part of the context I think is so important if we really want to get hold of First and Second Timothy is that Paul was combating three major heresies that had arisen early in the history of the church. One was called Gnosticism. I know it sounds like it should start with an N, but it starts with a G because of the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. Now, what these Gnostics taught were two, two main things that were so heretical. One, the first thing they taught was that all physical matter is evil. And they said, so anything, anything physical was evil, that the only thing that wasn't evil was our soul. And, uh, and as a result, they pushed that to an extreme where they said, because all matter is evil, Jesus was never a man. He wasn't a man. He was only a representative of God. Um, a representation of God would probably be a better, better description. Uh, and that he, he had no body, it just appeared that he had. And so they said, Jesus wasn't a man. Well, Paul says, man, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Next contestant, please. Up, step up, 
the Judaizers. These are the, these are the people who were Jews before they came to Christ, and they were imposing law on Gentile believers. They were po- imposing the law of Moses on Gentile believers. They said, yeah, you can be a Christian. You can come. You can come into the faith. But in doing so, you must be circumcised, and you must keep the many laws of the Old Testament. And they were trying to take away the freedom that we have in Christ. Hey, guess what? Jesus Christ fulfilled all the law for us. Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of all the holy, righteous requirements of the law. So that while we want to live a good life, do we not, Dennis? We want to we live a good life. We want to live a life that honors God. And yet we're not bound to the law in the way these legalists were saying at all. So Paul goes, sorry, next contestant, please. Well, up, up step the ascetics. Asceticism is a form of thinking that says, you got to get rid of a list of stuff in order, to be, in order to be right with God. That, yeah, it's about Christ. It's about Jesus in your life. But along with that is you can't drink, smoke, chew, or go with girls that do, basically, okay? And, and, and in, in essence, it says that to be a real Christian, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you need to, you need to just completely stay away from. And uh, in reality... Paul says that's not true. And he tells us right there in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, for example, he says the Spirit, verse 1, the Spirit clearly, clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. He's saying that this asceticism he's about to describe is not just wrong, it's demonic. It's demonic at its core. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Look, and he gives a couple of examples. They forbid people to marry and order them, order them to abstain from certain foods. He said, uh, from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. And so the ascetics were saying, no, there were certain things that you couldn't touch. There were certain things that you couldn't do. And in reality, this is not true. It's in much the same way today that there are Christians who will tell you that the Bible forbids you from drinking wine with your spaghetti. That's ridiculous. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible forbids you from being drunk, and you know where the line is, right? You know how many crosses the line, right? Don't look at me in that tone of voice and say you don't. Don't play with the line. Don't play with the line. But nobody can tell you that that's that's unbiblical. Now, we have to give each other some latitude in these things, don't we? Because they're not salvation essential issues. They are not worth dividing over. They're not really even worth arguing about, right? Now we have to give some, each other latitude in these, in these issues of walking with God, and then as we're doing it, we want to be honest with ourselves. If God is telling us not to do something, then don't do it, right? But if it's just some imposition of some point of view, I would reject that out of hand. But as we are living out our freedom, we must also be very careful not to be stumbling blocks for others, right? 
So let's live our freedom in joy and in love for one another. So these ascetics, he's saying, not what it's about. So this is the larger context of the books that we're looking at today. Now, a couple of main highlights. Curtain, please. Uh, a couple of the main highlights uh, for, for the books. First of all, I think we need to note that Paul was very specific about the appointing of the right leaders. That in this church in Ephesus, and we're not talking about a little church like ours. We're talking about thousands upon thousands of people in the city of Ephesus. Okay. And so into this, into this disorganized move of Holy Spirit among the infant church, there's just all kinds of stuff going on. They needed leadership, Yes. And so, so Paul left Timothy in Ephesus in part to raise up leaders to, to care for the church. He speaks particularly of two kinds of leaders, elders and deacons. And elders are the ones who are, the Bible says, are supposed to focus on the word of God and prayer. You know, the move of the spirit where deacons are the ones who are given to taking care of the organizational and the logistical dynamics of a fellowship. And he gives very clear instruction in 1 Peter chapter 3, the first 10 verses, about the standards, the qualifications of a person in order to be either. And with respect to elders, have you ever read that? There's some very serious qualifications in order to be an elder. That's why we only have two. There's only two guys I can find in the whole church that actually, that actually qualify as elders. And uh, man, and that's a stretch on one of them, and he's here now. So I, I don't even know how to go beyond that. But one of the interesting things about the qualifications of elders as they're listed in, in, in 1 Timothy is that when you go to the next book, which Lord willing we'll get to next time, is, um, is, is in the book of Titus, the qualifications are not as stringent. There's a couple of items missing, like here he says you must not be a recent convert. Doesn't mention that there. Why? Because Titus was on Crete, was in Crete, and that was a new church. And so it's like Wimber used to say, you know, you got to work with the people who come, you know? And, and so in a new church setting, the qualifications were not as stringent as they were in an established move of the Lord as in the city of Ephesus. Makes sense? But Paul was very clear under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about what the standards of these central leaders really needed to be. The other highlight of, the, of, of these books is you really have to catch is the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus. Listen, by that I mean Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, either that's true or Jesus was a liar. And it's true. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to God except through him. Now, it's confusing in our day and age, right? Because we live in a very pluralistic society. We know people who are on other paths. But I want to tell you this. With all certainty, there's only one path to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we need to be at all unloving toward people who are on other paths. We should not be unloving toward them. We should actually we should serve them with kindness so that we have opportunity to give a hope for the reason that is in us. Am I right? All right, so don't be a jerk in the name of Jesus. There's no, 
There's no provision for that in the Bible. There's no provision. But in 1 Timothy uh, chapter um, 2, verse 15, or verse 5, sorry, it says, for there is one God, okay, there are not many gods, but there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Jesus isn't just the way to God for people who choose to be Christians. Jesus is the one mediator between God and men for all men. And that's the exclusivity of the gospel. So, you know, Paul is just saying it's all about Jesus. So to these Gnostics who were saying matter is evil, Jesus wasn't really a man, you must have this esoteric knowledge that only we can give you. Paul said, that's such a lie. He said, it's all about Jesus Christ. To these legalizers, these legalists who are saying, you've got to follow all of these laws. You've got to be circumcised. Paul is saying, not true. It's all about Jesus Christ. To these ascetics who are saying, oh, you can follow God, but you've got to work really hard to follow him. He's saying, not true. There is a life to be lived for sure. But it comes because you know Jesus Christ as the one mediator between man and God. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him, church? Right. Then you're good. You may go. The hot spot for today in this, uh, these two books is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, that Aaron did such a beautiful job of reading just a few moments ago. And he's really talking about his relationship with Timothy and how to make an excellent handoff when Paul's at this stage in his ministry and handing off the ball to Timothy. How to make an excellent handoff. I fear a little bit using this analogy because it'll be so distracting for some of you who are trying to remember the play when Rod Smith got that ball. And that scary part is our elder who will come up later probably knows which play that was. He doesn't know his Bible, but he knows that. I'll be making a hasty exit. Of course he knows the word, he loves the Lord, he walks the walk, he's walked the walk in front of us for 23 or 4 years as an elder of the church. We're blessed to have him as an elder. But he does know a lot about sports. Handoff has to be made well in order for it to work. Paul says the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Gives us four qualities of an excellent handoff. And the first is you've got to have a loving relationship. Chap- chapter 1, verse 2, he says, To Timothy, my dear son. I love that, don't you? My dear son. Paul had two sons of the faith. The other is Titus. He also calls him his dear son. Can you capture the sentiment, the affection 
the holy affection, the love that he has. This is critical. This is so essential for making a good handoff. So we have to love each other. There, some of you are in the same season as I am. And it's our turn to be Paul and to find the Timothys around us and love them. Just love them. Just love them. It's my pleasure to have 10, mostly 20-somethings who meet in my office on some Saturday mornings for five hours from 7 to noon. And I love them. I really love them. I love them individually, and I love them together. And this is my privilege just to work with them and help them discern God's plan for their life, God's anointing on them, their gifting. The love between us just grows because it turns out they love me back. That's the bonus, you guys. They'll love you back. Your Timothys will love you back if you love them. This loving relationship, we've seen it before. We've seen it in Moses and Joshua, haven't we? We saw it in uh, Elijah and Elisha. I think we saw it in Jesus and Peter in particular. So as we think about enrolling in God's plan for our lives, whatever station in life we are, you just got to love them. The second quality of an effective handoff, according to 2 Timothy, is a recognized potential. If you look at verse 5, he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. He says, I see something in you, Timothy. He said, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. He saw something in him. He just wants to fan it into flame. Lowell, there's something in you, man. Anybody with eyes can see that. I fan into flame right now. The power of the Spirit, I just fan into flame. I fan into flame in the name of Jesus. I fan into flame the gift that God has deposited in you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. I fan into flame the gift of God. We can do that. People who are in my season, that's what we have. We have fans. We have fans. (laughs) I think the third quality of an excellent handoff is a willingness to invest. In verse 13, Paul says, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. He said, you know, You've heard stuff from me. I've, I've invested in you. I've invested in you. And I think, you know, it might sound like Paul's maybe a little conceited or egocentric in some way and say, hey, do as I do, you know, but it's really not that at all. He's saying, I've been doing this a while. I know some stuff. 
and I want to get, I want to invest it in you. You don't have to do, you don't have to do it the way I do it. You do it the way you do it. But I want to give you what I have. I want to release it. There has to be, listen, you Pauls in the room, there has to be a willingness to invest, to spend time. John Wimber used to always say, you can tell. You can tell the people you love, you truly love. They show up in two places. They show up on your calendar and they show up in your checkbook. We've got to love these young adults, these Timothys. We've got to invest in them. And then fourth, he says, an excellent handoff is always in Holy Spirit's power. Verse 14, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Hold on to it, you guys. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That this is really not up to our own strength, our own wisdom. It's up to Holy Spirit's move among us. These relationships that I'm commending to you, Paul and Timothy relationships, they're, they're relationships that are characterized by the dynamic flow of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty cool. You know we're entering into, we're in, I should say, a most remarkable season as a fellowship. Holy Spirit is moving so powerfully among us. We've seen him move before. But this, there's a depth of his move. It doesn't have all sort of the external features sometimes that we've seen before. There's a depth of the move of the Spirit in this fellowship. This is a great season. I saw the Holy Spirit move this week in a way and at a depth and at a level that I have not seen in 40 years. I won't tell you all the details because it's a very private, intimate story. But most of you know that our brother Don Schaffner went home to be with the Lord on Tuesday. He was here last week. He was here on Sunday. He was home on Tuesday. But it was my honor to be in the room with his family surrounded at the moment that the Lord gathered him up. I've never seen anything like it before. Holy Spirit's moving in this church, people. That's part of the remarkable season we're in. The second part is, you know, we're in a season where those of us who are in my, my, my class, <laughs> we can commend the works of God to another generation. This is remarkable. And I want you to understand that this handoff that I'm recommending is more like a football handoff than it is the passing of a baton in track. You know, when you run track in a relay and somebody comes up and you pass the baton on, you're done, right? 
Your race is done. That's not what I'm talking about. In football, when the quarterback hands the ball off, that's just one time, isn't it? Something powerful happens and mostly good. If everybody else is doing their job, mostly good. And then the quarterback steps up however many yards they just made and maybe does it all again. I don't want you people, anybody, to feel threatened like you're losing anything. You're gaining the status of Paul. Nobody's taking anything away from anybody. I'm offering you something. And that's an apostolic authority to breathe into the lives of the younger. I know you can pass. I know you can do it. I've seen you do ministry for a long time. I know you can throw the ball. But you can't throw the ball in every down. The opposition will figure you out, right? Hello? Am I preaching to anybody here? If you throw every down, got to mix it up, right? So I'm calling you, beloved. Throw and hand off. Repeat. That is my charge. We are Paul now, surrounded by many Timothys. That's about all I got to say about that. I'd like us to conclude our service this morning in worship, in celebrating something that's in this passage. Celebrating that there is one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all men. I know that's a deeply held truth regarding our salvation, isn't it? And it isn't, and it should be. But this morning, rather than just claim it for ourselves as we should, let's worship God because of it. Let's just worship God for the full atonement of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for us and said it's finished. Let's worship him because he's one. I'd like to get three or four of you to go into the prayer, your prayer ministry people, go into the prayer closet there, and if you'd like to receive prayer for something this morning, if you'd like to come to Christ, if you'd like to get prayer for healing, if you need prayer, just wander in there because it's probably going to get a little bit loud out here for that. So I'd like a few of you to go in there and be ready to pray for people as they come. But the rest of you, I'd like you to jump up on your feet and begin to worship the one who died for you. I, I want to tell you this. There's only one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ. There's only one. Good news. You only need one. Good news. He is the one. Let's worship him.